what's the crack, comrades? Welcome back to our podcast. I'm Sam. I'm Casey. And today we are talking about the best rom-com ever made, <laughs> Down With Love. Right. Yes. Um. So, Casey, what did you think of this movie? Um. It was... It was fun. I liked it. I liked the people in it. I was distracted from the plot mostly by how pretty Sarah Paulson looked. So that's why I don't know anything that happened. And also, like, all the interiors. Her apartment was gorgeous. All the clothes are incredible. It was beautiful to watch. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes, uh, I watched this for the first time at like the beginning of quarantine, and then as soon as I finished it, I was like, I want to see that again. Uh, <laughs> but I made myself wait like a month, and then I watched it again. And yes, I'm, over time, I've come to accept that it is the best rom-com ever made. And also, oh, fun fact, the song from the end credits is for some reason my most played song on Spotify. <laughs> fun. Yes. Um, I do just want to argue with you that the best rom-com ever made is Venom, but I'll let you have this one. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Um, So, uh, I guess let us introduce it. It is from 2003. It is directed by Peyton Reed and written by Eve Allert and Dennis Drake, and it is is starring Renee Zellweger, Ewan McGregor, Sarah Paulson, and David Hyde Pierce. So, what is it about? That's a good question. Okay, so there's this woman. Her name is Barbara Novak, and she's written a book called Down With Love, which is about how women should take back their power in relationships so they can become like better workers and like do well in the workplace and like take control of their careers and their lives they can be hashtag girl bosses exactly it was a girl boss how-to guide um involving eating a lot of chocolate and so yeah she shows up to this place i don't know she shows up to new york to like sell her book and give it get it publicity and she wants to um get this guy to write about what's his name catcher um, block he wants yeah she wants catcher block to write about her book oh, um, yeah. in he's, his he's like magazine called no yeah. yeah he works at no magazine he's like a really like successful popular journalist and so she's like if i get him to write about my book it'll sell really well um and so she like sets up meetings with him, but he keeps avoiding her because he's too busy fucking other women. Uh, Uh, And also, he's, like, convinced that she's not hot because he's heard something about her book and he's like, oh, she's this loser. Yeah, he's, like, a woman who writes about, like, uh, take like wanting to be powerful and, like, not wanting, like, not caring about men. It must be because she's, like, really ugly and men don't like her, so she's, like, trying to reclaim it. So, yeah, he's, like... She probably looks terrible. Um, I don't want to be with her. And I don't want to write about her book. Uh, But then... I don't know what happens. Oh, yeah. Then they get Judy Garland to sing about 
the book or sing the title of the book, they get Judy Garland to do publicity for them on some TV show. So the book gets really super popular. And he sees, like, a cardboard cutout of her in, like, a store window. And he's like, wow, she's hot. I fucked up. So I guess we haven't really mentioned, like, so when we talk about they, this is Barbara and her editor, Vicky Hiller, who is played by Sarah Paulson, and who is, like, the only person who's on her side in the publishing company. Yes. Yes. And she looks great. They both look great. Everyone looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So Catcher sees Barbara's cardboard cutout, and he's like, um, oh, no, she's hot. So he decides to seduce her. He He decides something. Expose her. He's like, oh, she actually does want to be with a man. Um, I have a question. Why does he want to expose her just because she's hot? Uh, well, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's like one. He one. She's hot, and two, like she's having a big impact on the world and people are like taking her seriously and he doesn't like oh, yeah. that. He doesn't like her being a girl boss. So he, so not only, yeah, he doesn't just seduce her because one of the things about her being a girl boss is that girl bosses can have sex whenever they want, but she can't fall in love. So he's mm-hmm. like, I need to get her to fall in love with me and tell me that she wants to like marry me and not be a girl boss anymore. Yes, all the men in the world who are really upset with Barbara because all of their, like, wives and girlfriends or mistresses are, like, not having sex with them anymore. Or, like, not even not having sex with them anymore. Some of them still are having sex with them. They're just not, like, fawning over them anymore and, like, doing whatever they want. They're like, wow, Barbara, you're ruining my life. My wife won't listen to me. Uh, um, and Barbara also is very frustrated because even though everyone is like having sex now, nobody wants to have sex with her. <laughs> yeah. Um. So then what happens? Catcher is uh, oh, yeah. putting on this like he's pretending to be somebody else to try and get her to fall in love with him, and he's doing like a weird accent yes, and getting. Yes, we haven't mentioned that she's never seen this guy before. She's only talked to him on the phone. Right. Um, yeah, so, like, they meet in real life, and she doesn't know who she's talking to, um, and he puts on an accent, pretends to be someone else, and they, like, go on dates and stuff, um, eventually she starts falling in love with him, and he also accidentally starts falling in love with her. I feel like um, you're really glossing over the fact that he pretends to be an astronaut called Zip Martin. <laughs> I feel like that's relevant. Uh, who has never heard of her book because he was in space. <laughs> Is that why? Because he was in space. Yeah. Yeah. He's. Isn't he also Southern? Yes. He's doing a Southern accent. And also he doesn't <laughs> want to have sex with her because he's like, no, uh, that's not right. Yeah. Back in the country, they have like rules about that stuff. And like you only have sex when you're married and stuff. And so he wants to treat her right like a good country boy. So she's really um, horny. Yes. Which I have a lot to say about that. But <laughs> um, I don't know then what happens. Yeah. He successfully like gets her to fall in love with him. And 
they're like, yeah, one day they're at his apartment and he like turns on a recording to get her confession of love on tape as proof of her being like, see, she doesn't stand for what she says she stands for. And actually all women do want love and marriage. And they're just like, this all will pass because they're just like going through something for a second, but that's fine. Um, so yes, he gets that recording of her confessing her love and then it turns out that she has been tricking him the whole time. So the story is <laughs> twist. The story is that she used to be uh, she used to be a brunette, which is a huge fucking deal. I didn't mention before she's blonde now. She used to be a brunette and she also used to be his secretary. Um, and they like, I don't know, she like had a crush on him or something. I don't know if they actually like went on a date or oh, so anything. He asked her out on a date, even though she was a brunette. Uh, but she turned <laughs> him down because she knew that he, she would just be like a one night stand that he forgot about and she wanted to make an impact in his life. Right. And make an impact she did so she as secretary turned him down and then decided to make an impact she's going to first dye her hair blonde um and then she's going to like write a novel get really popular and uh get him to fall in love with her because she's like his equal now or something honestly it doesn't make much sense to me there's like there's a three-minute monologue where she goes through her whole plot and it's incredibly <laughs> contrived and it's actually genius. I love it. Um, it's actually not genius. It's terrible. It's it's amazing. <laughs> uh, she's like, yeah, uh, yeah. First of all, she's like, I'm not a, I'm not a girl boss. I don't care about having a career. Uh, it's all a facade. And I knew that the only way to get you to fall in love with me would be for us to like go on loads of dates without having sex. And I knew that the way to do that would be to pretend that I'm a girl boss, girl boss who wants to have sex, but not like have romance. So therefore you would have to go out with me and not have sex with me. And then you would fall in love with me. It's, it's a fun time. (laughs) It's a lot. Basically she wanted his attention without the sex part. So, yeah, then he finds out that she's been playing him. Then she decides that she actually isn't in love with him. Yeah, she isn't in love with him. So she leaves to, like, go create her own magazine called Now. Mm-hmm. Um, Because she's realized that while pretending to be a girl boss, she has actually become a girl boss. Yes. Turns out she likes money. Um, <laughs> who could have thought? Uh yeah, so for her new magazine called Now, she's holding, like, interviews and anyone can apply. Um, so he applies to write for her magazine and then uh, he confesses that he's in love with her and they get married, I guess. Oh, and you haven't there's mentioned... There's this whole part where it's like, oh, <laughs> she has... Like, during their conversation, I don't know what they're talking about. It's very messy, but they're, like, he mentioned something about her being, like, some somewhere between a blonde and a brunette. And she's, like, something between a blonde and a brunette. And she, like, pulls off her headdress, and she's a redhead. And it's, like, wow. 
we'll, we'll white women with different hair colored color. hair. That's exactly. crazy. I really want to talk about that because it's so wild to me, this obsession with the like blonde versus brunette wars that existed. Yeah, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, they get together, they fall in love, they get married. Happy ending, I guess. Yes, and then at the end, in like the post-credit musical scene, which Ewan McGregor insisted they add in the last minute because he was like, "We've both been in musicals. We should do a <laughs> musical number." Um, yes, they, we find out that they've written a book together about how men and girl bosses can be in love and also make money or something. Oh uh, yeah, there's like this, uh, this, there, this idea of a new man who doesn't mind his girlfriend like having a life, and that's. They needed to write a book on that, apparently. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and we haven't mentioned, but Sarah Paulson and David Hyde Pierce's characters have a whole thing going on as well. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? It's like, I don't know. They basic, they both want to get together, but for some reason, each of them being friends with the main character is like hindering that. But in the end, they do get together, so it's fine. There's also one point where David Hyde Pierce is, like, thought to be gay, which I think he is still. But they're like, no, he's not. He's marrying Sarah Paulson, so he's not gay. Okay, but I want to mention, I love this part so much. It's my favorite part where she's like, just because you're homosexual doesn't mean we can't get married. (laughs) Like, so true, Queen. Love you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that, because as listeners might know, both of these people are gay in real life, which is fun. Yes. Uh, okay. So, initial comments. The plot was, like, the least interesting thing about this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I liked looking at it. Um, I didn't love paying attention to it, but it was really pretty. It was really pretty. Uh, any particular costumes that you really liked? I liked when they were, it wasn't like they were wearing dresses, but it was before, like, you saw their dresses and they had, like, these, mm. like, big, I don't even know what you would call them, but these are, like, huge pieces of fra- fabric that just, like, puffed out and framed their whole bodies. And then they took them off and they were wearing, like, like little dresses underneath. It was really amazing. Were they not coats over dresses I mean it was a coat but that looked like I mean they were the very elaborate it. yeah 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 uh, and they look like, like oysters or something maybe we're not thinking of the same one the one I'm thinking of is when they walk into the restaurant and they're wearing like one of them is wearing a yellowed coat the other one is wearing a checked coat then they open up and yeah that's not what I'm talking checked. about okay, but that was also very good okay yes because yeah. that's yes oh anyway there's a lot of costumes there's a lot of like layers and fun things going on mm. okay um yes oh okay just like some random things before we talk about anything important um whenever i watch movies from like the 60s we haven't mentioned this is set in the 60s <laughs> whenever i watch movies from like the 60s and people are talking on landlines and they're like those nice clunky like pl- pastel colored landlines I'm like mm-hmm. I could get really t- into talking on a landline but then I remember that I've I have always wanted one. <laughs> I think talking on a landline is different from talking on a phone I, I, mean, I, I think that's why that's why people don't call each other anymore it's actually not 
the people's fault, it's the phone's fault. If phones looked like they used to, people would talk on the phone. Mm-hmm. Especially, I'm thinking of, like, in Barefoot in the Park, Jane Fonda has this, like, she has this phone and she has, like, a big cord on it and she's, like, carrying it around, like, the part of it while she's, like, walking around the apartment. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's what I want. I want to have, yeah. like, yes, it's great. But I can I feel like yeah. I could only talk to like very specific people on your landline or else I would get stressed out. So anyway, um, OK, uh, yes, there's a scene in this. We've mentioned this trope before, but there's a scene in which Catcher is like looking around and things to make up a fake name. I still think <laughs> I still think that trope is comedy gold. <laughs> I think it's, it's always so funny because it's so much easier to just think of a name than trying to make a name out of the things that you happen to see like the words that happen to be around you it's hilarious every time yes uh another another thing i've written down here i think i would have a great time as a beatnik i think i would really fit yeah in. yeah mm-hmm I don't just, well, I guess I do understand why people thought it was a bad thing, but, like, I don't know, those people were boring. It's cool. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know, whenever there's beatniks in movies, I always really enjoy it. I'm always like, yeah, these are these are my people. They're, they're on to something. <laughs> I'm going to start talking like them. Um, okay, what else, what else? Oh. Fun fact, the guy who composed the score for this movie also composed the score for the Adams Family movies from the 90s, and I recognized that by listening to it, so I thought that was fun. I was like, look, I can hear music. Wow. And I mean, he also did it for some other movies, but I have like the score for the Adams Family movies memorized because I've seen those movies so many times, <laughs> so I was like, that sounds familiar. And... What else? Do you have any thoughts on like the camera work, the split screens things? Oh yeah, they did do a, uh, a sequence where they were like accidentally having sex using split screens, which I thought was very fun. It was mm-hmm. cute. But yeah, any other camera work is fine. Cool. Okay. Uh <laughs> Uh, what should we talk about first? We can talk about like the reception of this movie over the years. We can talk about Pillow Talk, which you did watch, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did watch it. Okay. And other like movies that inspired it. What, which one do you think we should start with? Um, we can talk about the reception, I guess. Okay. So after some investigation, I have found out that this movie got kind of mixed to negative reviews when it first got out. For some reason, a lot of people were comparing it to the movie Far From Heaven by Todd Haynes, which is also, like, this one is based on, like, 1950s melodramas. The Downward Love is based on, like, 1960s sex comedies, but I guess they're both, like, looking back to old movies and, like, recreating and interacting with them. Mm-hmm. But they're quite different. I, I just think it's weird that they felt the need to be like, well, it's not far from heaven. <laughs> um Yes, and then there was some debate about, like, whether it's actually doing anything. Is it actually, like, subverting any of these ideals from the 1960s? Or is it actually like, wow, the 60s were cool. We should go back to that when things were 
better when men were men and women were women. <laughs> uh, yes. And there's still some debate to be had about this, I suppose. Uh, but yes, it seems to me that in recent years, it has gained a bit of popularity as kind of a cult classic. And I've heard a lot of people going on about how great it is recently. So, Fine. yes. Uh, okay. I, I mean, I guess we'll return to this question of whether it subverts these ideals or not in a bit. So first, what ideals are we talking about? What did you learn from watching Pillow Talk? Thing. Well, I did learn that, like, I guess later than I expected, people were still talking about, like, you have to be married before you can have sex, which seems, I thought that was something that ended in, like, I don't know, the 20s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was funny. They were still talking about, like, marriage as something that was really important for you if you wanted to have sex with someone. Um, and also that women, like, apparently are still too emotional to work. It's not even that they're too... It's like a weird in-between period between being like um women are too emotional for the workplace and women like are able to work as much as anyone else where it's like women can do some things and not other things and like I don't know it was a it seemed like a weird in-between we're still arguing about what women in the workplace are allowed to do Yeah. yeah I definitely feel like like movies like Pillow Talk, these like comedies from the 60s are very like anxious about social change that's going on. They're like, I don't like yeah. I don't like all this new stuff. Uh, <laughs> and they're trying to like put that into comedy, I guess. But yeah, there's often some conflicting ideas. But I think like in the end, it's quite conservative. Would you agree? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, so, like, what exactly would you say is the ideology? What What does it want us to be like? I, honestly, I don't know. Maybe I just haven't thought about it that much. I don't know. What do you think the ideology is? Uh, yes, I don't know either. Uh, yeah. I thought it was kind of ambiguous. It's very. I do. I do think it's very much like. Um, even for this particular, like, obviously it's, like, reacting to this, like, second wave feminism that's going on, but I feel like even, like, the most you can allow for is that, oh, I guess we should respect women, but it does very much see, like, women and men as, like, different species, almost, with, like, Mm -hmm. these different traits that you can, that are, like, in conflict, and... yeah. So it's never going to be like, it definitely never uh, depicts actual equality because it's so invested in this idea of women and men being like, definitely like biologically and psychologically different. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, I did not rewatch Pillow Talk for this episode, but I gave myself different homework. Um, (laughs) I watched... Lover Come Back, which is another Doris Day Rock Hudson movie, which is basically Pillow Talk again. Uh, <laughs> in this one, in this one, they are like we haven't mentioned what Pillow Talk is about. Whatever, you can Google it. In this one, they are like. I'm sorry. The- no, you can't make me watch Pillow Talk and then say 
they can Google it. Tell us what it's about. Okay, so as listeners might know, Pillow Talk also involves a deception in which a man who... So Doris Day in Pillow Talk has never seen Rock Hudson in person. She's only heard him on the phone. So he also Mm. decides to do a southern accent to, like, trick her. And I can't remember what what his actual plan was. Do you remember? I think he didn't have a plan. I think he just wanted, I don't know. I think he just wanted to, like, make her feel bad or something. Yeah. He, like, yeah. He wanted to make her feel stupid. <laughs> and he did. So, mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. Lover Come Back is basically the same idea. In this one, they're, like, in, in two advertising companies. And they're, like, enemies in, professionally. And he also, she also has never seen him in person. So he also pretends to be a different person to seduce her. And is generally, like, evil. <laughs> That's, like, what this these movies are about are about like women tricking women uh, men tricking women uh but then the women like forgive them and end up with them i think it's so interesting that these men who are tricking women are like womanizers and like good at getting women so why like i understand why in these particular stories they wanted to like trick someone but like it's so interesting that that type of man would put on a different persona and try to play a different character to get a woman. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yes. weird. So I guess we'll talk about in a second how Down With Love reacts to this story and updates the story. But I want to mention another movie that I watched as my homework was called Sex and the Single Girl, uh, which starred Tony Curtis and Natalie Wood. And if you're a person who really likes Sound of Love and would like to know a bit more about the background of this movie, I recommend checking this one out. It's based on like a real book that this woman wrote and then they like fictionalized this woman into this movie, I think. It's very weird. It's a weird thing to do. Um, and this book is, it's basically like the original Down With Love. It's It's about how women can have sex uh i think i think the way it's portrayed in this movie is different from what it was actually like i haven't read the actual book but anyway and then in this book they're like i bet she's never even had sex we should try to seduce her and find out uh it's it's not it's yeah check it out if you want to see like the attitudes of the 60s and if you want to like get an idea of where down with love is coming from uh it was it was kind of creepy there's an insane car chase towards the end of this movie that went on for ages lauren bacall is in it she's great uh yeah you can watch it if you want it's not particularly good it's kind of creepy <laughs> <laughs> yeah sounds good yes okay <laughs> um where was i going with this so yes how does down with love update these tropes from the 60s what does it do i don't know i guess they give her like more of her own things that she is trying to achieve because she is is trying to while she does like write a novel and get it really popular and so creates this um magazine creates this workplace that's like for women um i guess barbara in down with love has like more ambition and is trying to do more with her power and stuff i do what i like about down with love is that they do kind of flip the like men tricking women trope by having her also like 
ultimately she's the one who's tricking him and she's in control and that kind of like the the power dynamic isn't as creepy and it's more like they're both kind of psychopaths who are horrible people (laughs) and then they end up together that's nice I don't know if I like it sure okay (laughs) I don't know it's easier for me to enjoy anyway yeah I mean yeah it is less creepy but I don't know women can get tricked sometimes it's fine (laughs) I feel like mostly what I didn't like about it was the three minute explanation of like what was going on because I was Ah. like I can't I don't this is so much to follow (laughs) and I don't like it when they're just I don't like people just telling me things I was like I wish there was a flashback or something like I I didn't want to sit there and be told a story as like show me something See, normally, normally I would agree with you, but in this case, I think it's funny. And <laughs> okay. I had a fun time with it. <laughs> and it's just, it's so contrived. It's like, yes, I had this very detailed plan and it all worked out exactly how I wanted. <laughs> it's a great time. Yeah, she was talking about her plan. She was like, oh, I'm going to write a novel and it's going to get super famous. And that was just like a small step in her like 10 step <laughs> plan. Like, oh, <laughs> interesting I didn't know that was like so easy to do yes uh okay I guess let's go into I read a couple of like feminist critiques of this movie uh both of which talk about how this movie is not feminist but is in fact post-feminist which listeners might remember from our Barbie episode Casey do you remember anything about post-feminism from our Barbie episode I don't (laughs) So, girl bosses are, in a way, the ultimate girl uh, post-feminist figure. Mm, Uh, Why is that? Like, I guess in in terms of, actually, maybe that's not entirely true. Well, kind of like, yeah, this like liberal feminism, this idea of we talked about it in the Barbie episode. So the idea is that we look back on some achievements of feminism and we're like, well, we did that. That's all in the past. Uh, now we don't need feminism anymore. And mm. there's and there's this focus on like the individual and being able to make like your own choice uh, without like looking at really like the collective or any like power structures that are in in place so you're like oh she can choose to get married and have children and she can choose to be a girl boss and these are all valid choices and that's like that's what's important is the individual choice uh there's also a focus on like consumerism sometimes and like buying this product means you're a good person we talked about this with barbie uh and it's all very capitalist Mm. So, um, what can you tell me about Down With Love as a post-feminist story? (laughs) I mean, I don't know if it is. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. I guess just because we're still seeing a lot of that anxiety with, like, I don't know, like, women in the workplace and things changing, and because we see, it is comedic, but because we see so much of that anxiety, I have a hard time seeing it as feminist at all or Mm. post-feminist because we're still like we still see the whole like women should women still secretly want to like get married and have kids and then they do get married and have kids so yeah really really 
of that's subversion. True, but I guess yeah, I guess the post-feminism would come into it in terms of like, oh, Bar- Barbara chooses to get married and blah 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 but also she can remain a girl boss she can have it all and that's like post-feminist liberal feminist fantasy but could she because she only became a girl boss because she wanted to get married and have kids yeah and then she accidentally liked girl bossing (laughs) yes i don't know like there's i think there's a lot of contradictions within post-feminism i don't think it necessarily makes sense it's not a coherent ideology it's not something that people really identify as I've never heard of somebody actually saying I'm a post-feminist sure um so all of that makes sense like these contradictions yeah yes uh okay maybe I'll tell you something that I read Okay, yes. So this is from Nina Martin's article, Down with Love and Up with Sex, Sex and the Post-Feminist Single Girl. Um, So here, oh yeah, she refers to post-feminism here as kind of like girly feminists. So the problem lies in the loss of critical eye towards cultural production. When girly feminists embrace traditional feminine aspects of pop culture, however ironically or wink-wink knowingly, they sometimes participate in a feminist backlash by refusing to question their choices. As Summer Woods explains, for many young feminists, choice has become the very definition of feminism itself, illustrating by the standard-bearing right to choose abortion and supported by the ever-advertised notion that they have the choice in everything else in life as well. Similarly, post-feminists focus on individual choice. Oh wait, this is my this isn't this isn't a quote. Wait, this is my notes. This is a mess. Wait, give me a second. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So then, uh, her yeah. In the end, Barbara chooses to get married, and that goes into this whole focus on choice. Um, then yes. So her the the way her quote-unquote feminism in the book is portrayed is this mentality of like focus on conventional beauty and the illusion of beauty with the end goal of catching a man and focusing on marriage. Uh, And she argues that this is actually all replicated in this movie rather than subverted. That does make sense because there is one character. Yeah. When she first walks into like the office to meet Vicky there's one character that's kind of like a mess and she like doesn't really care about how she looks because she's like oh I'm too old to get married and then when she reads Down With Love she starts wearing dresses and like doing her hair and she's like oh but she has always wanted that Um, she just thought it was too late for her so it Mm -hmm. doesn't really it's not really about choices because that's still the social programming at work it's just, mm-hmm. I don't know, going yeah. a different path to, like, get to the place that you were told you want to be anyway. Yeah, exactly. And I think you've identified, like, the problem is that this ideology doesn't look at this social programming. It doesn't look at what might be influencing these choices. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-mm-mm. Then, yeah, there's an argument that what this movie is basically doing is sort of ins- inserting post-feminism into second wave feminism and like rewriting history um this is mostly from anthea taylor in celebrity post-feminism the 60s feminist blockbuster and down with love where she talks about this um yes and 
And then, but then she seems to have an idea that this movie is more conflicted than anything. So, for example, she talks about how um, there's jokes in this movie where Vicky is like, you know, the scene where she's like in the meeting room and none of the men are taking her seriously, and they're like, "Make me a coffee." Uh, mm-hmm. And there's a there's a kind of like um, anxiety, like is the joke like, "Oh, look at this antiquated sexism that we've moved past. We would never have that nowadays." Or is the joke like we're laughing anxiously because it's still true? Um, and she seems to think that the movie can't really make up its mind on that subject. Yeah. But- do you think it makes up his mind? Um, I think you could argue that it is kind of, yeah, its relationship to feminism is kind of complicated and contradictory more than anything. Yeah. Yes. And I guess, yeah, this this gets to the, the, the final question, which we will now discuss. Is this movie really parodying these ideas that we see in these 60s sex comedies? Is it really subverting them or is it just reinforcing them? What do you think? Um, I think it's reinforcing them. Mm -hmm. But almost like unintentionally. I think it's reinforcing them just because it's not subverting them. I think they'd have to put more effort than they did into subverting the ideas. And they just didn't do that. And it ended up um, reinforcing those ideas kind of. Yeah, I mean, by yeah. Accident. I think you're right. Yeah, and I think even things as much like we've talked about the aesthetic of this movie and how it looks really cool, and that's not necessarily a problem. Like, I think you can make a movie that's like set in the past and looks really cool without being like the past was perfect. But it yeah. is often a trap that you can fall into if that's all you're doing. If it's just aesthetics, where you're that's the final message that you get away. Like, oh look, the sixties were so cool. Uh, we shouldn't <laughs> question any of this. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Um, And yeah, I think ultimately what it ends up doing is making these ideas more palatable to the early 2000s rather than actually saying they're wrong. Mm -hmm. But also, this is the greatest rom-com ever made, so it's (laughs) fine. (laughs) It's fine. We're not saying it's a bad thing. We're just saying this is what's happening. And also watch the movie. Yes. Uh, I want to live in her apartment. It was so her apartment is amazing and it makes no sense like she arrives to New York she immediately has this like really expensive apartment before she's even sold any books yeah I and also where did she get she was a secretary like where did she get the money to like go blonde and buy all these like pretty pink clothes she hadn't sold anything yet weird I don't care yeah it doesn't matter don't question it it looks nice Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, I thought it was interesting. I wrote it down here. There's a line where Vicky realizes like, like the workplace isn't uh, made for women. It's not that women aren't cut out for the workplace, but it's that the workplace isn't cut out for women. So like I can never make uh, I can never like survive within it. I'll never reach the top within it. What we need to do is build another thing. And I feel like she's like right on the cusp of getting yeah, it. Yeah, she's like almost there. <laughs> but then like her solution is we need to make our own girl boss company yeah yeah so i i guess that that tells you everything you need to do about the <laughs> politics of this movie it's it almost gets it <laughs> yes um okay what what next what next oh yes there's there's a scene 
which is very interesting. Um, where so we're we're looking at how popular the book Down with Love is getting, and it's like all over the world, and we see that it's even being smuggled into the Soviet Union and mm-hmm. communist China. What are your thoughts on this scene? American movies love to talk about how uh, uh, oppressed women in other countries are. Mm-hmm. Communism <laughs> is bad because there's no girl bosses. Yeah. I don't know. There's really nothing else to say about it. I did like one of the scenes in that um, sequence you were talking about is someone like cutting open a loaf of bread and there's a book in it. And I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a fun sequence. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Oh, another thing I wrote down, uh, the only, like, allusions to any real politics in this movie that we get, um, there's, like, two scenes. One is when Barbara first arrives in New York, and there, there are protesters uh, saying, like, down with the bomb. And then another is Catcher is talking to Peter. Is that his name? David Hyde Pierce's character? Yes, sure. I think uh, he's talking about his research into like Nazi scientists that are being hidden in the U.S. and like Operation Paperclip, basically, is what he's alluding mm-hmm. to. These are the only hints to politics that we get, and they're like never. It's never really discussed. Uh, what do you What do you think about this? Honestly, I forgot about them until you just mentioned them. So now I'm thinking, why did they include those points if they weren't going to do anything with it? Hmm. It was kind of just a throwaway, like, oh, look, things are happening. So anyway. <laughs> I, I have a very generous reading that I don't really believe, but I'll, sh- I'll tell you anyway. Sure. Uh, if I wanted to be really nice, I could be like, this is a commentary on the way the original 60s sex comedies didn't mention politics. Like, these are, this is the hint. Th- these are hints to, like, things that these frivolous comedies ignore, things that were going on behind the scenes. Uh-huh. Sure. Totally. Yeah, you could read it like that. If I feel like I gave a similar kind of reading for when we were talking about um, Knives Out. Mm-hmm. But yes, you could, if you were very generous, say that. Uh, but then, of course, this movie also doesn't really say anything about these things. <laughs> it also kind of ignores them. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I feel like it was kind of making fun of the down with bo- the bomb pro- protesters. So... Yeah, I don't know. That's all it's saying about them. Like, oh, they're so silly to be having political opinions. Yeah, it's so stupid to not want bombs. <laughs> <laughs> These teenagers and not wanting bombs. What's wrong with them? Yeah. Um. Okay. What else? Do you have anything else important to talk about before we start ranting about white women and their hair color? I think that's very important, actually. So (laughs) would you like to begin? (laughs) I didn't. Honestly, it's something that you see in, like, movies and TV shows as you're growing up. That blondes are, like, better than brunettes in some ways. Or, like, there's, like, fundamental differences between them. And I think I always thought it was a joke until, like, (laughs) relatively recently. I didn't know white women were serious about, like, their hair color having anything to do with, like, how they're treated in the world. Or it's actually madness. (laughs) But, yeah. 
I guess that's the thing that people think that if you're blonde, um, you will be treated better. And if you're brunette, you'll be treated worse. And for some reason, you can't, like, dyeing your hair is, like, not an option or something. (laughs) No, it's so silly. Like, it's made out to be this huge, like, fundamental difference. And you have, like, yeah, you have all these white women who are essentially the same. But they're like, this is a huge (laughs) difference between us. Um, Uh, I think I really thought it was a joke because I thought, like, did they not know about hair dye? I was like, am I the only one in the world who knows about hair dye? Like, I I must be missing something. Because you could, like, switch between them every other week if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you hold on to this idea so tightly when it's something that you can easily change about yourself if you really want it to change. I don't know. Yeah. And I guess, uh, like, whenever movies do this, I feel like they really betray themselves as assuming that their audience is entirely white, because who else would care about this or think about this? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Do you have anything else to say on this topic? Um, I did. I don't know who was talking about it on TikTok. I'll see if I can find them, but probably not. But they were talking about how in ensemble casts where there's like multiple women they'll have like a redhead thrown in as like white woman diversity (laughs) 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 and they were just noticing like different ensemble casts and like cartoons and tv shows and movies and there's like a blonde one and a redhead as like this is the different kind of white woman for spice yeah like and it's, it was so like if you think of like the powerpuff girls or like totally spies there was like the blonde one the brunette and the redhead and yeah. sometimes the brunette would like be implied to be not white but it would often be like very like ambiguous very ambiguous yeah but they did need to have two flavors of white woman for sure yeah <laughs> um, do you think we have moved past this or is it still present i think it is I mean, I don't spend a lot of my time in white women's business, so I'm not I don't know for sure. But I think I still like hear this idea every so often. I think it is still something that they think about. Um which I don't know, I want better for you. You can dye your hair if you want to. If this any, doesn't have to be a big deal. Yeah, if any of our listeners are very upset about this, please buy some hair dye. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess that is it. Uh, okay, finally, let's talk about what I mentioned about uh, how David Hyde Pierce and Sarah Paulson are both not straight and how that adds to this movie. So the, I think I didn't know that David, I don't know who David Hyde Pierce is, but I guess I didn't know that he wasn't straight. But um, that's fun. <laughs> yes. Well, so you've seen Pillow Talk. So you remember the scene in Pillow Talk where Rug Hudson is pretending to be straight, pretending to be gay, like the whole <laughs> thing that goes on there. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's a similar dynamic because when this movie came out, neither of these people were out. And so watching it like in retrospect, it kind of adds this like extra layer to it, which is kind of like unintentionally genius because of how it... Mm-hmm recreates that 1960s Rock Hudson thing um yeah I don't know I don't have anything else to say about it I just think (laughs) it's cool uh so I read I read an interview with Sarah Paulson like last month where she like 
this was brought up to her and she also was like that's cool I never thought of that um, <laughs> yes I don't have anything to say about it though um I support lavender marriages I think they're cool we should I bring think them they're back. very cool I think I want one yes <laughs> cool um yeah final final thoughts on down with love watch it if you like watching pretty movies and looking at pretty apartments and the color pink Mm-hmm. Highly recommend. Yes. Um, I don't think Ian McGregor is attractive. I've decided that I'm gonna live in my truth <laughs> and admit. <laughs> I okay. I've thought about this, and I don't think it makes any sense that I'm into Ian McGregor, but I am. I don't know why I am. I think yeah. I think that's why I like was like trying to convince myself that I thought he was attractive because I was like there's no it doesn't make sense that you like him so maybe I'm missing something no Uh, he is Scottish (laughs) well yeah that's obviously great but there are other hot Scottish people (laughs) yeah I mean yeah yeah like I feel like I look at him and I'm like that's that's a guy (laughs) yeah he's some guy but Um, I also look at him and I'm like that's a guy derogatorily (laughs) <laughs> but yeah he does he occasionally tricks me into finding him hot and also into going all conspiracy theory and being convinced he's gay um, cut that out <laughs> why I, I I want our listeners to know that I have to hold myself back from calling random celebrities gay on this podcast all the time <laughs> so I can't cut it out because you commented on it I guess so. Oh, finally, I would like to say that Renee Zellweger, if you're listening, I have decided that I forgive you for Judy. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't she win an award for that or something? I don't want to think about it. Okay. I didn't see it. You don't need to. (laughs) Uh, I will say, I think more movies that are not musicals should consider having musical numbers in them yeah I think people think musical numbers are like cringy though well they need to get over themselves (laughs) they need to grow up and yeah don't don't be limited by like oh but this isn't a musical we can't have musical numbers yes you can don't let that stop you okay (laughs) so I guess let's wrap up so thank you for listening to our podcast if you like it, you can go over to patreon.com slash Casey and you can give us money and you can access bonus content. Um, if you would like to see our show notes, which I put a lot of effort into for nobody to read, or <laughs> if you would like to access our transcripts, you can find that at summoncaseysmovieclub.wordpress.com. If you have any questions, any complaints, any compliments, you can contact us at SimonCaseysMovieClub at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or CuriousCat at SimonCaseyPod. You can find me on Twitter at CosmicJellies. And I'm on Twitter at CaseyNosa. And finally, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. You can say whatever you want. You can be really mean. You can complain about how we talk. It's okay. (laughs) We just want the attention. So thank you for listening. And until next time.
Bye. Bye.